Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today we're going to be doing a video interview with Tracy Bissett. Now, Tracy has 20 years of professional financial services experience, is actually a professor of financial services at Centennial College in Toronto, and started her own financial services firm called Bissett Financial Fitness. That is a heck of a resume. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Alex. It's my privilege to be here. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. I guarantee you my 10 listeners are feeling honored as well. <laughs> so Tracy, you have a very impressive resume. I cannot wait to speak to you. I just want to jump right in. Are you okay with that? Sounds great. All righty, well, let's jump right in. So Tracy, 20 years of financial services experience, a college professor, and the founder of your own financial literacy firm. That's quite a background in money and business. So I'm curious, in what order did all of this occur, and how did we get from A to B to C? Well, that's a great question, and certainly uh, lots of years in the making. I was really entrepreneurial as a kid, uh, and then I went on to business school, and then I started working at TD Bank, one of Canada's big five banks, in the areas of commercial lending and risk management, and thought I would stay for one or two years and probably go out and work in one of those companies that was my customers, but ended up staying 16. But during that time was super passionate about helping people learn about money, take the mystery out of money. So my job was eliminated. And I thought, instead of going back and working in another bank, let's do the things that I really loved out of the out of my background. And so teaching was certainly one of them. So I went and looked around for a teaching position. So now I have the privilege of teaching students as now financial planners, planners, financial services professionals, as well as I need a business where I do financial education and coaching for both young adults as well as entrepreneurs. And sometimes those two overlap, which is really fun for me. So let me ask you about this. Being in college, being a college professor, did you guys have, I know my university did, but did y'all have maybe an entrepreneur-specific track? Uh, they do have um, an entrepreneur-specific track. And so I'm in the business school and I'm teaching financial services because of my background, but certainly uh, lots of experience helping customers and prospects get started in their business, which is really an exciting adventure. Alrighty. So let me ask you this. For having experience with an entrepreneurship kind of college program, how much of a leg up does that give you versus somebody who has, say, maybe a couple years of professional experience and wants to start their own business? So experience versus the four-year degree in entrepreneurship. Uh, what kind of value do you see between one or the other? Well, I think there's value in both. I mean, certainly from my corporate background, it made it a lot easier to start a business because I knew all of the nuts and bolts and the pieces you need to have. I think if there was more training on the pieces, though, that would be helpful. I have heard from a lot of students who do study entrepreneurship. It prepares you academically, but not really in the practical. So you are still taking a leap, I think, both ways when you start that business because you are having that. You've got to trust yourself. You've got to have judgment. You've got to validate your idea out in the market, and you won't know till you try. Where I suggest that people usually start is through a business plan. And you're going to validate who is the target client I want to sell my product or service to. And you want to make sure that you can price it in a way that you can make money. And sometimes the outcome from doing a business plan is that my original idea doesn't work. I need to pivot my idea. And sometimes you find out that it doesn't work at all. And um, that's okay because you've saved your time and your money up front. You haven't quit a job. You haven't taken life savings. And you've actually done that legwork up front. And then you can decide, do I want to go into another kind of business or do I, I maybe want to stick with a job? 
Okie doke. And let's say if you were to equate the two, maybe if you have someone that is thinking of, do I want to either go straight from high school through to the entrepreneurial route versus maybe, you know, maybe I need that education, maybe a little bit of a base layer that I want to go and maybe do the degree program. How many years of experience would you say? So if someone followed your path and maybe went, joined corporate America, corporate Canada, wherever, and decided to work for a bit and then pursue entrepreneurial endeavors, how many years would you say in the real world would be the most beneficial before making that leap? Well, I think the older you get, you just become a little bit more risk averse. I think that's just a practical reality and you have less obligations generally. So I think it's always good if you have a couple years of corporate experience. And then if you're really passionate about your idea, start it as a side hustle validate your idea, test it out, make sure you can get it up to a place where you can support yourself and continue to make investments of your business. And then you can think about leaving that, that job. But it's a good way to do it because it also is going to show you if you have the temperament and the personality and really the drive to be an entrepreneur because you're going to work way more than you do in your corporate job. So it's a good way to test it in a safe way while still having a steady income. And I think that um, some people will say entrepreneurs, you're either born to be one or you're not. I don't believe that, but you do need to be fully committed. You got to do whatever it takes. So testing that in a really safe way is a good way to get started. <laughs> and there are a couple comments I actually have to that. And for the audience, as well as you, Tracy, uh, I can tell you as a credit analyst that there is no such thing as someone who is born to be an entrepreneur. You may have those people who are good at it, but I can tell you from personal experience with absolute certainty that not all entrepreneurs were born to do this. Some of them have a rough time. It's the reason why businesses fail so much. So is it the average startup restaurant fails after 24 months? So you don't need to be an expert born to do it to jump in and start a business. Just give it a shot. If it fails, it fails. If you start it as a side hustle, which is a fantastic way to do it. And I'm so glad Tracy said it without me having to ask a very specific question to get her there. But it is a fantastic way to do it. Start it as a side hustle, do it in your spare time while you still have the security of a full time job. And then if it grows naturally to where you need to stop working at your job and pursue that fully, because that's just the better option or something you enjoy more and it can support you, which is an important note, go for it. Yeah, and I think it's important you want to make sure that you have multiple streams of income. I think if COVID has shown us anything, we want to make sure we've got some diversity in how we make money. And so having a couple sources of income is a really good thing to, to have. And uh, you don't need to be a full-time entrepreneur unless you want to be. So it's not for everybody and it, it's not a, a negative if you go through the process even on the side hustle and say, you know, this isn't really for me. That's okay. You've learned something about yourself and you've probably protected your future really well. Yeah. And you didn't really risk anything except what, some free time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you still had the full-time income. You just, you know, took a couple nights, couple weekends, went out there, did the thing, decided it wasn't for you. But guess what? You still have a job. You're still solid. Exactly. <laughs> And with that, I wanted to go into, so let's say we have that sort of business idea. Maybe we're still working in corporate America, or maybe we're still in college, depending on which path you decided to take. I want to go back to something you had mentioned earlier about a business plan. So is there someone who can maybe help you make this business plan? What kind of good parts should be included in that business plan? Or let's go a little bit more into the purpose of it. 
Absolutely. So the point of a business plan is to really flesh out your idea before you try to bring it to life. Um, so a lot of research is going to go into who is my target client? What are the demographics? What's their income? Can they afford to pay what I'm planning on charging? It's going to look at competitors, strengths, opportunities of the markets and weaknesses maybe of your management skill that you might need to supplement with some other people. And it's actually going to go through a financial forecast as well. So I can guarantee you that things will take longer and cost more money than you can imagine. So you've got to build conservative projections so that you truly know how much it's going to take to get your business off the ground. And as I said before, I don't view it as a failure if your plan shows that this isn't going to work. Too many entrepreneurs just jump full steam ahead without validating their idea and the pricing. And all of a sudden things are not going well and they're not sure why. In terms of your question around who can help, certainly there's lots of business coaches out there. Accountants can even assist. I work with some clients to help build out that business plan. But there are also a lot of great free resources where you can build one yourself if you're trying to get started on a budget. And so in Canada, we have the Business Development Bank of Canada, the Bank for Entrepreneurs in Canada owned by the government, and they've got an excellent business plan template that you downloaded and you fill in the sections. And how deep you want to go is really up to you, but it gives you the framework to make sure you get all of those sections covered off and that you've thought of everything. Perfect. Makes sense to me. And something I want to throw out there for some of my non-Canadian listeners, watchers, however you're consuming my content here. Thank you for being here, by the way. If you're in America, we have a big system of something called small business development centers. So those are, I don't want to say they're free. I think they might be depending on where you go, but a lot of colleges or universities will have those. But then also in America, we don't really have our a government bank that does anything like that. But we do have the SBA, which is the Small mm -hmm. Business Administration. So the Small Business Administration can help you with loans, support materials. They have a lot of good stuff on their website. So I'm going to have links to both the resources she mentioned as well as I in the description below. So we're going to have that for you. And then what are maybe some questions, Tracy, that someone should ask themselves that should go into that business plan? You had mentioned before, who are we selling to? What kind of products are we selling? Uh, can we go into that a little bit further? Absolutely. I think it starts with what, what are your goals? Why do, are you starting this business? It's because you want to keep yourself busy every day. Do you want to make money? Do you want to do both? Do you want to help your community? And so it's really important to be clear about why you're doing it. And um, a lot of people will say to me, why wouldn't I want to make money? But a lot of people don't have that as an explicit intention of their business. And then if it's that you're creating a product or a service to fill some kind of need in the market, a lot of times that's how a business comes to be. Somebody hasn't been able to buy something that they need and they make something to fill that gap. So you're generating your idea that way. And then who is it that's going to buy it? And are the people you think that are going to buy it going to be able to pay the amount that you need? And so from there, it's important to really get into how much does it cost for me to actually bring this to the market? And so I encourage people to just get out a pencil and a paper and start with the basics. How much does it cost to build this product or this service? And especially for anybody who's thinking about launching a service-based business, it's important to value your time appropriately and charge for it. It's not just free because it's your time. You need to make sure you're thinking about when my business gets bigger and I need to pay somebody else to do it, how much would I have to pay them so that you've got a real true idea about the cost before you can decide what, how much you're going to charge. And that is an excellent point. That is something I see a lot of business owners not take into account of as far as a service-oriented business. When it's friends or family and they're offering you 15, 20 bucks to come and take pictures at a wedding... That's just the one I got in my head. Don't judge me here. <laughs> this, this works for any service-oriented business. But 
a lot of times this stuff starts off with, hey, so-and-so, you're really good at taking pictures, photography, even maybe you dabble in editing. Can you come to my insert event here and take some pictures and I'll give you 50 bucks for it? And you say, okay. And you think, well, maybe I could do this full time. Well, you need to take into account the next person that wants your pictures. Well, do you have to drive 30 minutes? Is it going to take time to develop them? Are you going to sit there in front of a computer and edit these pictures? How much time is it taking you to come up with this final product to give to them or the service? You need to value your own time because otherwise you're going to set your prices here, but your costs are going to be up here. Absolutely. This is actually a very imperfect time for me to mention. For those of you that are listening in the podcast and not necessarily watching this on YouTube, this is actually a video interview. So uh, there are going to be a couple times where I mentioned to certain levels or I point to things. In general, it's not important, but it is important to notate that what I just said was that if you set your costs at a certain level, your costs might be higher. Absolutely. And then the, the most important part is, can you actually sell your product or service for the amount you need to, to make money. And sometimes those things don't line up because people will not pay. Uh, I think of, um, in the summer, my niece was making bracelets, beaded bracelets. And so she was just arbitrarily setting the cost. So I went through this exercise with her. She's 11 years old. She didn't particularly like hearing all of these principles, but we went through the example to show you'd have to sell an awful lot of bracelets to be able to make some money that would help you do anything of significance in your life. So sometimes some things are just hobbies and sometimes they can be businesses. Absolutely. And for the parents out there, this is an absolutely phenomenal lesson out there. Every kid can imagine, well, cup of lemonade, what's that? A pitcher of water, some ice. Water and ice is free if I go from mom and dad's tap in the kitchen. But what does lemonade mix actually cost? I mean, you get that one big old can of like the powdered stuff you start in and it's fine. This is the perfect opportunity to go in and say, well, it's not just water and that powder. Well, you got to set up a sign. People got to know you're selling, right? You got to buy cups. You got to have an ice chest to make sure your ice doesn't melt. Otherwise, you're going to water down your lemonade. So an exercise like this, especially for someone that young, is absolutely wonderful to show them that, hey, there's other things here besides just lemonade. And that's exactly what she told me, Alex. She's like, well, my mom buys the beads and the string, so I don't have to worry about that. So all of it is profit, <laughs> Aunt Tracy. So she got some of the lesson, but not all of the lesson, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, hey, it's just something you got to try again. This time it's bracelets. Next time. Who knows? Maybe it is a lemonade stand. Maybe it's selling pictures. Maybe it's who knows you can do this kind of example for so much stuff. I imagine you can Google it and there's going to be a hundred results. So Tracy, this is actually a perfect time. You started your own financial planning firm called Bissett Financial Fitness and you even have a podcast, not unlike what we're doing here today. So would you mind going into maybe just as a case study for the listeners here, what kind of things did you have in your business plan or what kind of things did you consider before, you know, leaving the banking life and the academic life and going out there and actually starting your own business? What kind of stuff do we have there? Well, I knew I was an expert at two or three things from my banking career, which uh, doesn't bode well necessarily when you're starting a business. You have to learn how to do like 50 things. So I did have a plan. Um, I knew it was very important for me to build on the strengths that I had and where my interest and passion was. So I was really focused on helping young adults and I classify them kind of 18 to 30-ish as well as entrepreneurs. I've really enjoyed all of my time um, thus far working with those two groups of people and I wanted to make sure I was still doing that. To differentiate myself, it's really around financial education and taking the mystery out of money and the 
personal and business financial concepts. And so I don't tend to talk about consulting. It's more about coaching and it's really about transferring skills from me to them. So there aren't many people who actually do that in the market. So I, I discovered that finding and playing with the right price points was a validation I needed to do. And then I certainly needed to hire in some support to supplement my skills. I didn't know how to make a website. I had to learn all about social media and figure out everything like that. I was not thrilled about making a podcast at the beginning, but I hired a business coach uh, to help me through that process. And she highly encouraged it. And I'm so glad that I did. So my show is Young Money, the advice show for young millionaires in the making. And it's really about helping people get on a path to financial fitness and we talk about anything and everything money related well all righty then so thus far we've talked about your own business we've talked about what kind of path you should take whether maybe starting in corporate america canada insert country here versus if you have something nearby maybe an entrepreneurial course so we have that we have maybe have a business plan how should you start in that maybe start as a side hustle and then if it takes off if you decide you like it we could build up from there but before we maybe take the leap and start talking about fully fledged full-time business owner, what are some things that entrepreneurs need to know before they pull the trigger? What are some things that they're going to need to be accountable for as an entrepreneur, as a business owner? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that, Alex, because usually the financial part of the business is something that people leave to the side. They get excited and they're passionate about whatever their idea is and they get focused on that. And they think they can either just ignore and it'll work out okay, the numbers piece of the business, or they're going to delegate it to their bookkeeper or an accountant. And certainly they can help you. You don't need to have all of those skill sets yourself, but you are still the CEO of your business and you need to be accountable for the financial results. And there is no way to hit your goals without using the financial results, using your cash to fund things and move your business along to hit whatever goals and priorities you have for it. So for me, it's being all over the financial piece of the business so that you can hit your destination. All righty. And I'm really glad that you brought up the financials because that actually brings me to the next point. So let's say we take our hypothetical listener that's going along the path to becoming an entrepreneur. Let's say whichever path they took, they're going through, they're starting this as a side hustle. They're developing it that way. They decided they like it. Maybe they want to go on to the next step. What kind of options are there for maybe financing? Like, let's say you need a business and maybe you need a work truck. Maybe you need a building. So some of that you're not going to have a lot of cash on hand for to be able to purchase all this stuff outright. So what kind of financing options are out there for entrepreneurs? So sometimes if you're still a young entrepreneur, there may be some grants available that you would look into in your local community or country. Most likely it's going to be credit granted on your personal credit score. So you would have wanted to be keeping that in good shape while you were working, while you were in school, because they're going to be looking at how have you handled credit already in your life. And what I think is extremely important for anyone starting a business is as soon as you can, you need to establish credit in the company name. It might be granted initially based on your personal credit score, but over time, that's going to be based on the business. So super important to do that as soon as you can and not just go out and try to get credit in the company name once you're trying to grow. So the credit should grow with you. Absolutely. And to those people out there who are looking to start a business, again, you'll notice I'm chiming in a lot more on this interview than I do on others, but that's because this is my bread and butter. Small business financing is what I do for a full-time career when I'm not sitting in my cave, sitting here doing these interviews for mm -hmm. you. 
So your personal credit has a lot to do with it early on. And then depending on the size of your business, it's going to continue to matter throughout the life of your business until you become, say, a multi-million dollar operation. But we're starting small here. So your personal credit is going to be a big part of it, but don't be too obsessed about the score. All the score is is an aggregation of the details of your score. How many times were you late? How many different forms of credit do you have? How long have you had credit? How much experience do you have? What kinds of debt have you had? So the score doesn't really tell you anything. Like the score will give you a, do I even look at this person? But really what's important is what's in the report itself. So no misbehaving. Absolutely. And you want to make sure you take the time to understand it. If you don't get someone to explain it to you and especially best practices to check your score annually, because sometimes someone may have committed identity theft. Someone might have taken out credit in your name. There might be something that's wrong. So you want to make sure that you're keeping, uh, just like you do with your personal reputation, you're taking very good care of your financial reputation, which is your credit score. Absolutely. And for those of you that are in the United States, I know I show a little bit of favoritism towards the United States in my explanations, but that's because that's where the majority of my audience is and that's where I am. It's where I have the most experience. So for those of you in the United States, you can pull your credit for free at each of the credit bureaus once per year. So you can either pull all of them at once and just get it once per year, or what you can do is you can stagger them. Maybe you pull Experian in January, maybe in April you pull TransUnion and then Equifax a couple months later. So you can space them out to where you're checking your credit every couple months, but you're not going through that. And I believe the website for that, don't quote me on this, it is going to be in the description below, the absolutely 100% correct version of it, but I'm pretty sure it's annualcreditreport.com. So for those of you in the United States, that's going to be an excellent resource for you to go and pull your credit. And Tracy... Jumping straight back to you, instead of addressing my audience directly, something you had mentioned before is go to someone to explain it to you. And I'm so glad you said that because that takes me right to my next point. So as a business owner or a new entrepreneur, new business owner getting into the field, are there certain professionals maybe that every business owner should have a good relationship with or have uh, in their phones where it's easy to reach out to? Absolutely. So most of us are not HR experts. So human resources, you want to have somebody on call that you can reach out to, especially as you start growing your team, you want to have the right agreements in place. You want to make sure you understand all the laws and regulations. You certainly want a business lawyer so that you can get agreements set up properly. If you are starting a business with someone else, whether it's a corporation or a partnership, you want to make sure you got the right documentation to protect yourselves. You will want an accountant that you can trust as well as a bookkeeper. Those will be kind of the few I'd have right away. And then you're probably going to need somebody to assist potentially with marketing, social media, digital marketing. As your budget allows, you're going to add more people to your team so that you can supplement the areas where maybe you don't know, maybe you need a little bit of support so that you can stay in your kind of zone of genius and do what you do best to, to bring the product or service to your customers. Well said. And let's say just for fun, if you had to, because very rarely, I think, are you going to find an entrepreneur that hires all these people at once or goes out and reach to them. So just for fun, and we're not saying this is the correct way to do it, but this is just Tracy's opinion. I'm going to go ahead and throw that disclaimer out there <laughs> ahead of time. But in what order would you recommend? Like maybe a lawyer first, an accountant first, an HR person first. So what kind of order of importance would you think should people be adding these professionals to their team? First off, you probably want to work with somebody who can help you do that business plan. So once the business plan is done, so that could be a business coach, it could be someone at a small business center where they can help you. Then a lawyer to get your organization structured properly, and then a bookkeeper account. 
But most of these people, you, you don't need them to be full time on your team. You can use them for a few hours, pay for their services, and then that's the end of it. So you can have an HR person on standby as you go to hire or fire people. They don't need to be a full time part of your team. The other thing that may be useful is a virtual assistant or online business manager to help you if you're doing a lot of things online to just take some of the complexity out of all of that stuff that you may have to learn. Yes. And I'm so glad you said that because I didn't realize I didn't mention that when I said it. So what I meant by the last question is we're not hiring these people. Like, trust me, as a new business owner, you cannot afford to hire an attorney. That's just not how that's going to work. So this is more on like a contract basis. So maybe your accountant, you see them maybe once a month to do your financials or even once a year to do your taxes. A lawyer, just kind of an as needed kind of thing, definitely to start the business. Maybe you need to get your membership agreement done between you and your business partner. Or if it's just you, you need business documents that you got to file with the government. So we're talking about on a contract basis. We're talking about having people that is your go-to person to where if you know this entity is going to come up and I'm going to sell to them, we need some kind of business agreement, you need a lawyer that you can call and say, hey, I need something for next week. So we're talking about building these relationships, not necessarily hiring them. And I'm so glad you mentioned that, that we're not going to have these people full time. Because chances are, as a full-fledging, starting off business owner, you can't afford them. Exactly. (laughs) And not to burst anybody's bubble who's listening, but 80 to 85% of the clients who come to coach with me do not get paid regularly. So their dream when they started their business of it being so much easier than a full-time job has not usually turned out to be that way right away. And they're plagued with lack of the steady paycheck that comes from working so many hours. So you're not going to have enough money to pay yourself necessarily at the beginning. Um, So you're not going to have all these people on your roster, but you're going to have them in your network that you can hire when you need them. Absolutely. And I can tell you guys from experience because I've seen it. The story of an entrepreneur is something I see on replay almost every week. The typical thing that I see is person has a full-time job. Person works that full-time job and starts as a side hustle. So you start seeing, I review tax returns. So I see it from that point of view. So person has all their income coming from their W-2 job or just working your nine to five. Then you start to see a pattern of they start this side hustle. Side hustle starts growing. Side hustle grows to about maybe half to 75% of the income they make at their full-time job. Then at that point, the time demands on that side hustle become too great to have your full-time job and this entrepreneurial pursuit. So they make the decision that, you know what, I'm going to pursue this full-time. And at that point, they go, okay, quit the job, work the side hustle, and it's now your full-time hustle. So the problem there is you go from working 40 hours a week and then nights and weekends to you're doing this probably 80, 90, 100 hours a week, working, slaving, there's no stopping. (laughs) Yes, you are your own boss, but there's a cost to that. So you're doing this time and time again, working, working. It's going to be a struggle for probably the first year, maybe the first two, depends on how fast it takes off. Chances are you're not going to be making as much as you were with your full-time job until maybe the first year, two, maybe even three, depends on what it is. And then once you hit that point, you're able to bring on more people. You're starting to be able to make some of those tasks that's taking you 100 hours a week and hire someone to take some of that off of you. Now that this person's working 40 hours a week, you can go from working 100 hours a week to 60. So then you start making more money, so you have this extra productivity. Then you're able to hire the second person. Then that person takes 40 hours of work off of you. And then the cycle continues until eventually 
you get that entrepreneur's dream of you have this business. It's making you money. You don't have to work. And then you've got competent enough people to where you don't even have to think about it. Your business is just rolling, rock and rolling. You're a business owner giving you money and you get to travel the world. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So in a perfect world. Yes. In a perfect world. Yes. In general, that's how I see it. But then again, just because that's what I see doesn't mean that that's the fact of the matter all across the world. This isn't the story of Bill Gates. This is <laughs> this is just as generic as I can get. That's the reality. You're going to work 100 hours a week. You can't get around that. <laughs> yeah, and if you've made any um, missteps on your pricing and you're selling everything at a loss, that catches up pretty quickly. So you got to make sure you validate that pricing so then you can get paid appropriately and take care of yourself and your family and look after all your personal financial demands and needs. Absolutely. Or, and I pledge this to the audience, Instead of starting that side hustle, what you can do is you start a podcast and then not charge money for it. Then you're working this 20, 30 hours a week and getting nothing back. (laughs) 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 They told me to start a side hustle. So what did I do? I started a podcast. (laughs) All righty, Tracy. So let's go ahead. Something I want to ask about, what are some things that maybe current business owners now, because we have been talking about maybe the hypothetical business owner or the potential things that I've seen in my history and things that you've seen in yours, but what are some things with actual business owners that they just do right, that they maybe don't give themselves credit for? Oh, that's a wonderful question, Alex. And anybody that I start working with or I'm talking with, they will say to me, you know, I don't know anything about money, the business side, financial side of my business. I really don't know. And I'll, I'll ask them how long they've been in business. And if it's any time past three or four months, I will say, well, you are doing something right. You understand how to manage cash flow. You might not do it perfectly. You might not do it efficiently. You might not talk about it the way that I do, but I've seen so many businesses go under in as quick as 90 days that if you're around after starting up after four or five, six months, you are doing something right. And so you should give yourself credit and give yourself a pat on the back. It's really important to celebrate those victories and acknowledge what you're doing right and what you can build on. Absolutely. And I mean, it takes something like you're getting experience just from being there. Nobody does anything right the first time. My first episode included. That was rough. If you don't believe me, (laughs) listen to 30 seconds of it. It is painful. But no one gets anything done perfectly the first time. If you're still open, you still have time to better refine what you're doing. Keep going, work harder, work stronger. Just generally improve until you're out of business. You can still improve. And actually, that has me thinking of a new thing. What kinds of routines would probably work really well with business owners or routines that can kind of keep them going or keep them afloat and get them to that better place? Well, we talked about sometimes business owners delegate complete authority or accountability for the numbers. They may not look at them. They may just delegate to a bookkeeper, an accountant. One routine that I think sets them up really well is to have at minimum a monthly meeting, but weekly is better. Have time carved out in your schedule. Look at your numbers, look at your bank account, assess what's going on in your cash flow, and just have that regular dedicated time, just like you do for sales and marketing and the other activities in your business. Keep it top of mind, and it's going to make it so much easier to use the money and the cash flow in your business to hit your goals. Absolutely. Like you can't have your business, one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. So, although there's a lot of memes and jokes about, you know, mm-hmm. oh, great, we have another meeting, or then you got shows like The Office just basically vilifying meetings. It is important, as long as you don't overdo it, to have those meetings where everyone kind of gets on the same page. 
and that way, you know, you don't have this guy's doing this and that girl's doing this, and it's just not helping anybody. Yeah, and I'm not talking about hours on end, um, especially when you're you're new in your business and you might be just yourself. 30 minutes a week, that's all I'm talking about. So you're not dedicating your whole life to the financial side, but you certainly can't be running full steam ahead for your goals if you don't know what's going on on the financial side. Absolutely. Now, you and I both have personal finance podcasts. So just for fun, something I want to have, what are some maybe personal finance lesson that you and I basically hammer, what are some things there that would translate over very well to a business, such as like maybe having an emergency fund? Yeah, certainly having an emergency fund, cash is king. You want to be able to have cash resources. We've seen that through COVID. People who have cash reserves built up have fared a lot better. Having access to credit is really important as well. Not just a line of credit, but also potentially having access to a loan where you're demonstrating your ability to pay it back, even if you don't need that cash for any purpose. You've just got it in your bank account. And the other thing I would say that's super important is to set up a variety of bank accounts so that you do move money that's owed to the government from your general operating into an account to keep it there. It's in trust for the government. You may have a savings for investment. You may have for your own payroll, but having those different accounts set up so that you can keep it really straight. Those would be three or four tips I would suggest that really translate well across personal to business. Absolutely. And speaking one more time as the credit analyst in me, just some word to the wise PSA for all the potential business owners out there or actual business owners out there, have a good relationship with your lender. Your lender is not just the guy that gives you money or just the girl that gives you that line of credit. Your lender is there for you. They typically are trained across everything in the bank. So if you need help with your deposits, your loans, I mean, they're a good resource to have. And I'm not just saying that just because I'm a banker, but I work in the back. I don't talk to customers anyway. They keep me <laughs> in a cave. <laughs> but trust me, you will get so much easier time on your loans if you just communicate with your lender and look, I'll be honest, we ask for stuff a lot. We're going to ask for a five-year-old tax return just because that's what we have to have for regulations. Unfortunately, there's all kinds of stuff that they're going to make us ask you for it. But I'll tell you, some of our best borrowers are the ones that just respond to stuff. So your lender is there for you. They might have some wacky requests at times, but trust me, it's there for a reason. And ignoring the person you owe a million dollars to is never a good idea. Yeah, I'd love to to add on to that because I certainly used to tell my clients when I was an account manager, the more in advance you let me know that you might need some assistance, the more options we can brainstorm and the more likely it is that I can help you. If I come into work today and you're overdrawn on your account, all of our options are gone. Your credibility in the eyes of the institution is reduced. So let's talk early, be transparent. Tell me what plans you have in place and let's come up with solutions together. So you do want to keep them informed and at a distance, I would say. So friendly, not best friends. You're not going into your banker. You're not crying on their shoulder, uh, which sometimes I find with women entrepreneurs need to be careful about how much and how close necessarily you're getting. You want to make sure that you're projecting that professional, credible image. And it's okay if you've had financial challenges in your business in the past, explain what you learned from them and how you would do things differently if the same situation should come up. Nobody's perfect. And the bank is just looking for the fact that you have a plan. You're able to come up with a different plan if needed so that they can have that confidence in you. Only response I have to that is amen. <laughs> Look, your lender is trained to be a trusted confidant to help you with the finances of your business. Now, we're not accountants, but as far as financing and managing your money, we've seen 
a dozen businesses just like yours, and we're looking at your financials. You give them to us. So we can offer points of advice, but we're not your best friend. It is a professional business relationship. Although I have heard of lenders, you know, crying on your shoulder, or you're crying on their shoulder, but it's, <laughs> it is a professional relationship, but we are there to help. Don't believe all the memes that are, you know, the banks wants you to not know we're hiding your amortization schedule. I heard something just this week that we hide amortization schedules from people as if that's a secret. Like we don't, <laughs> we don't hide that. We give it, it's in your loan docs. We give it to you. Sorry. That was, that was just my rant with that one. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, Tracy. So I think we've covered quite a lot of material today. Do you have maybe another subject you want to cover or are you comfortable with going ahead and ending it there? Oh, I think we've we've done a good job covering off uh, lots of interesting topics. So I think I'm I'm good there. Absolutely, for sure. We've covered a base amount of knowledge that will definitely help people get started, or at least start thinking about what kind of businesses do I want to start? What kind of product or service am I going to offer? What kind of financing will I need? What kind of equipment will I need? What kinds of professionals am I going to need? So, I think we've definitely covered a good base knowledge for anyone who is wanting to start that entrepreneurial journey but maybe doesn't know where to start. So with that, I am definitely okay with moving on to the end here. So Tracy, for those in my audience who are more curious about you, what your business does, and just more of what you have to offer, do you have any like links, social media or anything where my audience can find you? Sure. And I do have a gift for everybody listening because I Ooh. am so passionate about you taking control of that financial side of your business. So if you want to head over to cashcoach.biz, you can download a money meeting agenda so you can get started having those weekly or monthly meetings uh, just to stay on point on the financials. So cashcoach.biz for that money meeting agenda. And the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So Tracy has an E and Bissett has two S's and two T's. Love to hear any comments from the show or, or any questions and uh, always available there. Perfect. And all of those links will be in the description below. So you don't need to search anything. You just need to go and click. So Tracy, last thing, did you have fun? Absolutely. Well, hot diggity. So she had fun. We had fun. I hope you guys at home had fun. So do you have any last second words of wisdom for the audience? I do. So I talk about financial fitness. It's in the name of my business. I think it's a lot more positive to talk about it that way versus financial literacy and being illiterate. Everyone is starting on their financial fitness journey wherever they are. So be proud of where you're starting and take that first step. If you take a step off the path, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. You've got to be kind to yourself and keep moving forward. So stay with it and uh, be kind to yourself. Absolutely. So y'all have some homework. Go check out her website, find her on LinkedIn. Tracy has all kinds of good resources. I spent the last couple of days having some fun with it. And with that, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I'll see you guys next week.